Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Would you reach into the hymnal rack on the back of the pew in front of you and take out this little card? It's a business-sized card. There should be enough there for everyone in your pew. If you would just kindly make certain that each person in the pew receives one of those cards, I would appreciate it. It says, Back to Basics on one side. That's the sermon series in which we're currently engaged. And on the other side, it has a place for a signature. It has a place for a date. I want to ask you to hold right now. Don't sign it. Don't date it yet. Because above that, there's a simple statement that reads like this. Today I make a commitment to read daily from the Bible. Before our service ends today, I'm going to ask you if you would sign that card in ink. Before the service ends, I'm going to ask if you would be willing to make that kind of a commitment. But not yet. I don't want this to be an experience where you come into a worship service where you're touched by the music, drawn in by the children's story, blessed by the prayer, where during the sermon an invitation is made and you sign it and leave without giving due consideration and due thought to what it means. I can imagine that somebody looking at that might think, well, I have a couple of questions about this. Why should I sign this? Why should I make that commitment? What's the purpose behind it? And then secondly, if I sign it, my second question is, how? How do I carry that out? How do I keep this from just being an exercise we did in church that really doesn't have an enduring or lasting effect? Two questions. Why and how? So before you sign that, before you make your decision of whether or not to sign it, I want to talk about those two questions, why and how. But we have to set the table. We have to provide the context. The context is we're in a sermon series, as I mentioned, called Back to Basics. And in this sermon series, we have already gotten in the wheelbarrow. We've already turned around to go back and take the gorilla home. And now the question is, what's next? After those two actions, choosing to place my belief in Jesus, turning to Him in repentance, now what? I have an answer for that, and it's this. Years ago, I was trying to sort my way through what it meant to live a spiritual life, not what it meant to live a religious life, 
I grew up in a religious context, went to a religious school, had a religious family, many religious friends. And honestly, while I know this was not the experience of all, for me, that was largely a positive experience. I wasn't trying to sort through how to live a religious life. I was trying to sort through how to live a spiritual life. Or if I were to use the the terminology, the nomenclature we use here at Loma Linda University Church, I was trying to understand pragmatically, practically, in tangible ways, how does one take the discipleship journey with Jesus? How? It was about that time that I listened to a sermon from a man who had quite an impact on my life, a very positive impact, a man by the name of Morris Vinden. He influenced scores, countless lives during his time. And he addressed this very issue. Here's how he addressed it. Pastor Vinden said, I decided that because I was asking the same kinds of questions, I was going to take that timeless little classic book, Steps to Christ, and I was going to read it through, and every time I came to a statement that gave a directive, this is something you need to do, I was going to underline it, underline it. And then after I gathered all those quotations, those underlined quotations together, I was going to decide, okay, pragmatically, how do I live this life? I was going to avoid, he said, more ethereal kinds of statements. You know what they are. We use them a lot, even though sometimes we're not sure exactly what they mean. Behold the Lamb. Fall on the rock. Surrender your will. He said, I I couldn't sort through how to do those things. So I was looking for something practical. How do I do it? And so that's what he did through the book, underlining time and again. And he said, when I came to the end of that exercise and I grouped and categorized all these underlying statements together, I realized there were only three things. Three things that I was being called to do. One was read, read the Bible. Two was pray, commune with God. And three was do something about whatever conviction grew out of the first two. So whatever it was that I had read, had prayed about, had listened to God about, somehow it was directing me somewhere to do something, to share with the needy, to confess a sin, to make things right with a brother or sister. I had to do something about what I got out of the first two. So in this series, Back to Basics, our last three sermons are those three things. Read the Bible, pray, and act. Do something about what you got out of the first two. We do that by listening, listening to God's voice through His Word. We do that by speaking, speaking to God in prayer. And we do that by acting. What has God called me to do out of the first two? And so today we begin with listening. Listening to His voice through His Word. And that brings us back to this card. It says it very simply, Today I make a commitment to read daily from the Bible. I think the questions are obvious, what one might ask oneself before signing a commitment like this. Why? And how? So let's begin with why. Why should we read it? 
It's an ancient book. It's an old book, still around after all these centuries, millennia, actually. I've read it once or twice. Why continue to read it? Why? So seeking an answer, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and to turn to the first psalm. Psalm 1, the psalm that Edna May Lovelace read so well, actually recited, if my observation was correct, just a few moments ago as our Scripture passage. Psalm 1, and I want to read it to you. This gateway to the Psalms is also the gateway to a way of life with God. But before we read it, I want to ask you to take note of three things when we do read it. Number one, take note of the phrase, the law of the Lord. It's central to everything that is said in this psalm. The law of the Lord. Now, when we read that, we tend to think about maybe the Ten Commandment law or maybe some other aspect of Old Testament or even Christian law. That's what we tend to think of. But understand that that's much too restrictive to capture the sense of the Hebrew word Torah from which it is translated. The word literally means instruction of the Lord. Yes, it can be contained in the law, but it goes far beyond the law. So much so that in some versions, when you read this psalm, it will not render it the law of the Lord. Rather than that, it will will render it the Word of God, encapsulating all of Scripture. So when we read that, notice and remember that. Secondly, notice the imagery of the righteous person. In this psalm, the righteous person is the one who is chewing on, feeding on the Word of God. It comes through in the image of a tree. You can see see a tree planted by the rivers of water, a tree that is tall and stately and majestic and enduring and fruitful. That's the imagery it uses to describe the righteous person that chews and feeds on the Word of God. Notice that. And then thirdly, notice the opposite of that. Here it calls that person the wicked person. What it's really talking about in the context of this psalm is the one who says, I don't need all of that. I don't need to spend time with that. I don't need to pay it that much heed. I don't need to have it nourish my life. And you'll notice that that person in this psalm is fruitless and rootless. So notice those things as we read. Psalm 1, beginning with verse 1. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, and meditate on His law day and night. They're like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will be destroyed. So there you have it. That imagery may be coming from a barren land, but it's by the river, and so it has had the nourishment to grow tall and strong and stately. It lasts, it endures, and it bears fruit. Even if the wind and the storm beats against it, there it is standing strong and tall. But chaff, you know what chaff is. 
We don't do these things these days, but when they would winnow the grain and the husks would be torn off, those parts that weren't edible, they would allow the wind as they threw it up in the air back time and time again to blow that chaff away, get rid of that that wasn't good. Just windblown, no root and no fruit. That's the comparison. And the difference is how they relate to the instruction of God. I'd like to do what I did last week, though, and I'd like to reread Psalm 1. This time I'm going to read it in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. Notice how he contemporizes the language and puts it right in the context of where we live. Here it is from The Message. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along Dead End Road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You're like a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked who are mere windblown dust, without defense in court, unfit for company of innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take is skid row. Think about that. The tree describes a person whose life is strong, whose life and influence endures, whose life bears fruit. In other words, you make a difference in the world. In this case, especially a spiritual difference, a difference for God in the lives of other people. On the other hand, those who ignore it vanish, blown away, No enduring difference. And what's the difference between the two? What they do with Scripture. The instruction of the Lord. Now, you may still be asking that first question, why? Well, that's helpful. I understand it matters. Why make a commitment to immerse oneself so deeply in it every single day of my life? Why? Well, maybe, maybe Anthony Hopkins could answer that question. Anthony Hopkins, in my view, one of the great actors of our day and time. One of the actors who, when you watch him on screen, you have a sense almost he is the person he's portraying. Do you know what Anthony Hopkins says? He says, when I get a script, I've agreed to a movie, and okay, Anthony, here's the script for the upcoming movie. He says, I take that script, and I will typically read it through up to the entire script, everything, up to 200 times. And while I'm reading that script, he says, I am immersing myself in that script. I am making notes. I am highlighting things. I'm imagining myself in that role. I am learning my lines. By the time he's done with that, he not only knows his lines, he knows everyone else's lines. He says, in the process of doing that, that character that I'm going to play gets integrated into who I am so that when I finally come to that moment of standing up before the camera, I am the personification of that character because I have profoundly immersed myself in it. 
Why, Anthony? Because I want it to be a part of me. Supersedes mere acting. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed in those times when I seek to memorize a passage. Recently, I've been memorizing Psalm 51. When I seek to memorize a passage, I don't know how you memorize, whether it's memorizing Scripture or memorizing for a test or memorizing for whatever it is. But for me, a lot of it's just good old-fashioned hard work. It's having something in my pocket that has that passage on it, and it's reading and reading and rereading and beginning to say it and repeat it over and again until it begins to weave itself into my mind so that I can say it from memory. What I notice is the more that happens, the more that passage becomes a part of me the more it becomes a way of thinking, the more it becomes a natural way of responding. Somehow it seems that that endeavor begins to weave it into the warp and woof, not only of my thinking, but it can do exactly the same for you as well. What was it that Hopkins said? He said, I want to integrate it into who I am. So that when it comes time, I become the personification of that character. And so you sit in a church holding a little business-sized card in your hand, looking at that statement, today I make a commitment to read daily from the Bible and pondering whether or not to sign it. Maybe you're asking, why? Well, maybe Anthony Hopkins provides the best answer so that it gets into you, into you to the degree that when you live, you are living it out. Maybe that's why. But even if you decide that that's why, I think you have a second question. I mean, how many of us have made a determination at some point in time, okay, I'm going to read the Bible through. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it this year. This is the year. And you start in Genesis, and actually, that's good reading. That's, wow, that's great. Exodus, that's good reading till about halfway through. And then you start to bog down in the mud, and by the time you hit Leviticus, it's over. History, done. Can't go any further. We're stuck in the mud. I've tried it over and again, you say. So your question, second question, is a natural question. How? How do I do it? If I'm to sign this and make this commitment, I don't want to just have the reason why. I want to have an ability to carry it out. So here's what I want to do. With the image of that tree behind us, that tree from Psalm 1 that is stable and enduring and fruitful, with that image behind us, I want to give you three suggestions. Three suggestions that might help answer the question, how? Here's suggestion number one. You ready? Scripture before phone. <laughs> Scripture before phone. Now that's a line lifted straight out of a book. 
a book called The Common Rule, written by Justin Whitmill Early. Justin Early has written a book called The Common Rule that deals with some of the habits we have in our lives. And he reminds us habits are those actions in which we engage without having to think about it. We all have habits. You engaged in habits just this last week. No question about it. That's what we human beings do. For example, did you have an experience this last week of driving home from work, getting home and thinking, you know what? I don't even remember that whole drive. You are on autopilot, taking the turns and the twists and the stops and the goes just because it's habit. Now, here's what Whitmill Early says. Some of the habits we have are destroying our souls. And he suggests that one of those habits has to do with that trusty little device without which we apparently cannot live anymore. Call the cell phone. Now, I would push it even further than Early does by saying this. Here's my suspicion that not hundreds of thousands, not millions, not hundreds of millions, but I would venture to say that a billion or two people around the globe have the same habit. And that is this. When they awaken in the morning, the first thing they do is reach for their phone. Sometimes that's because that's their alarm like it is with me. So you got to reach for it. Turn off the alarm. But it doesn't stop there. Because when you turn off your alarm, you see that some emails have come in. So I'll just check those right quick. And then, oh, let me look at social media just for a few moments. And then you're scrolling through social media. And then, I wonder what happened over the night. Did the world blow up last night? I better find out. And so then you go look at the news, and then suddenly you look at your watch, and you say, oh, my goodness. You leap out of bed. You're racing late into the day. And do you know what has happened to your soul? You're angry because of the news. You're envious because of social media. And you're stressed over the emails, and your day just started. No time for God. So, suggestion number one. That tree that grows in Psalm 1, do you know why it grows? Because it's planted beside the water. The water of life that continually nourishes it. If you are going to nourish your soul with Scripture, my first suggestion is Scripture before phone. Early's book, we're reading it. Not just the pastoral staff, our whole staff. Maintenance, support staff, media, everybody. We're reading this together. In worship, we've been doing it for weeks, reading and talking, reading and talking, praying. And I dare say that a number of us, I hope many of us, have decided that's our habit, Scripture before phone. I adopted that quite some time ago. It has not been perfect. It has been life-changing. Scripture before phone. That's suggestion number one. Suggestion number two. Begin with the basics. Begin, what are you doing reading Leviticus? Begin with the basics. If this hasn't been a discipline to you, begin with the basics. Think about it. Student who wants to go to med school, is coming out of high school, signing up for college, 
We would never think of that student going to their, ins- their instructor, their advisor, and say, you know, first class I want to take is neuroanatomy. Can you get me into neuroanatomy? They would say, what are you talking We don't even offer that to college students. That will happen when you get to med school. No, but that's what excites me. Begin with the basics. You're a high school student. You want to go into law. Don't start with constitutional law. That will finish you off before you ever get a chance. Begin with the basics. So what does that mean? Well, it can mean a variety of things depending where you are on your discipleship journey with Jesus. So let me mention two or three things that might provide some help. So first of all, uh, up on the screen, we'll flash something from our website. You can go to our website, and you can find this page that will have on it Bible reading plans. It'll be up there because I'm, by faith, believe. There we go. Okay. So there it is. Get to that screen on the website, and there you will have two or three different ways you can do it. You can do it by listening. You can listen there. You can do it by reading. It will guide you through a day at a time throughout the year, just bite-sized pieces as you take this journey of faith. If computers aren't your thing, there are are hard copies of it out at the Welcome Center. Pick it up there. Or we're going to put a QR code up on the screen. If you'd rather do all this by phone, then take your phone right now and just take a picture of that QR code, and it'll lead you, I understand, to the right places if you're looking for a Bible reading plan. Or if you say, I really don't want to do it by myself. Do you know that for the last three years, at 7 a.m., three days a week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 7 a.m., three days a week, over here in this part of our structure in room 102, there's a group that's been reading the Bible through, reading the Bible in community every day. Reggie and Jeanette Allen are part of that group. Randy Tan is part of that group. Philip Milosavljevic helped start that group back before he left and then returned to us. If you want to read it in community, join those three days of the week, a group who's reading together. Or if you decide, I would like to do it with some help, there's another card in front of you. It says, welcome, fill that out, and on the back, just check. I'd like to join a Bible study community. I'd like to have a pastor come alongside and help me understand how to read. There are many different ways, and there's a great deal of help. The question is, are you willing to try, and are you willing to begin with the basics? So you say, I'll try. But how? Scripture before phone. Begin with the basics. And then my third suggestion. Find and highlight your name in the story. This book is the story of God and His people. Find and highlight your name in the story. Because any experience, any book, any program gets a lot more interesting if you suddenly realize, I'm in it. You know that? Just watch a child showing when the family is showing home movies, and suddenly the home, that's me, that's me. Gets a lot more interesting if you realize, I'm actually in that story. Do you realize you're in this story? So find and highlight your name. Now, I don't say that just to make everything all about me as a selfish person. I'm at the center of the universe. Look at me in this story. No, 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 no. We've done that before. 
And we reduce the magnificent mission of God. We become like the little girl. The mother rushed into the room. You've heard the story. The night of the great lightning and thunderstorm, sure her daughter would be petrified, rushed in to comfort her. Instead, she's standing spread-eagled at the window saying, God's trying to take my picture, Mommy. It's all about me. No, it's not all about me or all about you. In fact, from the very beginning of the mission, God said to Abraham, through you, all nations on the earth will be blessed. This plan is for everybody. But you know what? You and I are part of a nation. We're part of a family. So we're in God's plan. So find and highlight your part. Philip Yancey, after a lifelong study of the Bible, says, I've, I've kept searching for something that would encapsulate this entire book to me. He says, I think I've found what it is for me. This is the story of God going to any lengths to get his family back. Get his family back. Well, you know what? You're part of that family. You're part of it. And as you read, find your name. Find your story. 75-year-old Marion Shirtliff in 2012, lived just down the road from us, down in San Clemente, California. She went in one day to a used bookstore, perused the shelves, and decided she was going to buy a Bible. So in that used bookstore, she picked the Bible. She went up, paid for it, took it home. When she got home, she began to peruse the pages of this Bible. When she did so, some paper fell out. It was folded up, several sheets of paper. She saw that they were a bit yellowed with time. She opened them up and saw a child's handwriting and realized at glancing at it that it was a young girl who was writing something that she had to do with Girl Scouts. And then Marion Shirtliff looked more closely at that and thought, something looks familiar. And then she realized, that's my handwriting. That's mine. She had written that at 10 years old in Covington, Kentucky. Somehow over the decades, that Bible with her writing had made its way from Covington, Kentucky, 2,000 miles to San Clemente, California, and decades later, Marion buys the Bible, her Bible, and finds her statement. She said, I stood there shaking and weeping. Because I found myself in the pages of that book. Honestly, it reminds me of Israel Narvaez. I don't know if you remember that name. But Israel Narvaez was the gang leader whose story was featured in a movie now several decades ago called The Cross and the Switchblade. There comes a moment in that movie, in The Cross and the Switchblade, when Israel accepts the knocking of Jesus on his heart and surrenders his life to God, and somebody places a Bible in Israel's hands. And Israel takes that Bible, and he starts to look at it. And then suddenly he says, hey, my name's in this book. And then he turns a few pages and a few more pages, and pretty soon he shouts, he says, my name is all over this book. <laughs> I'm everywhere in this book. That's what I'm saying to you. As you read Scripture, don't just read it for what happens up here. Read it for what happens down here.
And the way you do that is find and highlight your story in the characters of Scripture. Because that character who yearns, yearns to know that he's forgiven by God, he's yearning for the same forgiveness you desire. That's your story. Highlight it. That character who needs to know, yearns to know, I'm not alone. I need the assurance that God is at my side. That's the same assurance you need as you travel the journey of cancer. That's your story. Highlight it. Write your name there. That character who is clinging desperately to the promise of God, that's your story. As you cling, pleading, highlight it. Write your name there. Those personalities, those characters who through the dark of night, through the attacks of the evil one, through all of the storms that life throws at them, still stand and say, but over there, we will be in the presence of God. We are not abandoned forever in this world. And they cling passionately to hope. That's you. Highlight it. Write your name. And you'll discover that all through this book, your name, your story, your experience, they're right there. And when you start highlighting and realizing, that's me there, it gets a hold of you. And it changes you. So find and highlight your name in the story of God's people. So you sit. Sit in a sanctuary holding a little card trying to decide should I sign this? Should I make that commitment to read daily from the Bible? Why? Well, let Anthony Hopkins answer. So it becomes a part of you, integrated into you, and then you live it. Okay. But how? Well, there are many ways. But how about Scripture before phone? How about going back to the basics? How about finding and highlighting your name every time it appears in Scripture? So there's a pen in the hymnal rack in front of you. I want you to consider, before you leave this place today, taking that, putting pen to paper and saying, God, each day I am making a commitment to listen, to listen to your voice in my life and through this book. Amen.